Okay, so quick show of hands in the room here. Um, how many of you have ever been on a long trip before? A long trip, lots of travel involved. Okay, how many of you, that trip, you've been on like a long um, walking trip, right? Uh, a hike, a backpacking trip. Okay, all right. Yeah, so you know, most of you know, if you travel uh, you know, in the car, on a plane, I don't know, do people take trains a lot anymore? But you know, if you're not the one driving, there's tons of ways you can occupy yourself, especially now in a world of like tablets and phones and all that kind of stuff. But if you're walking, your options are a lot more limited because you know, you gotta pay attention to where you're going. You're like actively involved in this. And so if you're walking, your options are kind of, I don't know, talk with the people who you're around. Maybe you could let yourself daydream a little bit. But for a long time, on long journeys with lots of people, maybe this is a certain type of people, I don't know, but you would sing songs together, right? You would sing songs on this journey. I feel like most of the songs from my childhood, um, I mean, they were songs that never end and they would go on and uh, I'm sorry, you don't, don't think about that the rest of the day. Um, you know, there were songs about uh, 99, I don't know, bottles of communion juice on the wall or things. Uh, my daughter actually just came back from Camp Carl a few weeks ago. She was out there in day camp and came back singing something about sticky waffles and a moose or something. I don't, anyone from Camp Carl here know what I'm yeah, okay, I'm getting some head nods like that's a legit song, okay. My daughter could only remember a few key parts, but it's, it's cute, it's silly, I don't know. But the, we are in a series right now in the book of Psalms and the Psalms, as we've talked about before, these were, um, and these were prayers, these were poems, some of these were songs that would be sung by God's people. Um, and the beauty of what we have here. Um, and the beauty of what we're looking at today, we're looking at a psalm of ascent, right? A psalm of like upward movement. Um, and there were three times, there's, uh, well, let me think here. There's Psalm 120 through 134. Those are like the psalms of ascent. And we're gonna end up looking at Psalm 127, but I, I wanna give you uh, three times that God's people would have really, uh, these psalms would have been really meaningful to them. Right, so the first time is in the temple. Right, there were priests who would offer sacrifices to God at the temple, and these psalms would regularly be called to their attention. They might be singing these on the priest's way up to the temple to offer sacrifices. Now, the second time these psalms would be sung or um, remembered or celebrated um, were during religious festivals. Right? Many of God's people lived outside of um, Jerusalem and would travel in for these festivals. And so they would travel from wherever they were up to Jerusalem. And these would be Psalms that they would again call to their attention as they're going to celebrate God and what he's done. Now, the third time these Psalms were really, really meaningful to God's people was during the long walk from exile in Babylon back to Jerusalem, 
Right, so a quick refresher for anyone in here who's not super familiar with this. God's people had a really long history of seeing God work and move, seeing God provide in really miraculous and powerful ways. And over the course of time, they, they grew just such a, um, again, such a history of seeing God move and work. But over the course of time, they also began to lose sight of God. They began to look at the nations around them and see, you know, what God are they worshiping? What does that God have to offer? They began to think things like, maybe we can figure this out ourselves. Maybe we don't actually need God. And so over the course of time, God's people had almost completely forgotten about him. And God was good. God, over the course of time, sent prophets or messengers who were people who would come and share with God's people, hey, turn back to God. Don't forget about God. Don't forget about who he is and what he's done. The people would just disregard him and push him off. And God would send messengers to say, guys, this is really serious. God's really serious. If you don't turn back, God's gonna kick you out of this land. God's gonna let your enemies come in and take over. And again, they should have listened, but they didn't. And so God allows the Babylonians to come in, capture God's people, take them out of Jerusalem, um, back to Babylon, and they live in exile there for 70 years, right? 70 years, people's entire lifetimes. But God, again, being good, 70 years later, put in place a king who would send God's people back to Jerusalem, And so he releases the Israelites. They head back to Jerusalem. They have God's word and they have this um, Psalm 127 as a reminder to them as they head back to Jerusalem, right? Remember when they get back to Jerusalem, they need to, um, and they need to rebuild their homes. They need to rebuild the temple, which was seen as God's home, They need to rebuild the wall that surrounded and protected and allowed them to watch over their city. They needed to find jobs. They needed to create jobs. They needed to find ways to provide for themselves. And they have this journey, right? This long walk back from um, Babylonian exile back to Jerusalem. And this, Psalm 127, is a psalm that would have been fresh on their hearts and minds. And I think that context, that situation, makes this psalm all the more meaningful. So if you're not there, open up to Psalm 127. Um, And again, I've been telling you that these are are songs for better or worse, I'm not going to sing this for us today. Um, Byron's on vacation. Uh, it's just, it wasn't going to work for me. Um, so Psalm 127, and I'm going to read the whole psalm, and then we'll focus in on a few parts here. So Psalm 127, it reads, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
Right, so this psalm almost feels like two disconnected pieces, but it's connected. We'll get to that. But let's focus first on verses one and two. Right, let me just, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Right now, remember, when they're calling this uh, back to their mind and their attention, they're coming back from, uh, from exile, headed to Jerusalem. Right? They were in exile because they'd forgotten about God. They disregarded God, and now they're headed back. But the whole reason they left is because they had forgotten about him. They had homes they lived in where God wasn't honored. They sat around dinner tables where they, God was not prayed to. They sat down in the living room and never had discussions about God and his goodness and who he was. They had a city they thought they could defend from their enemies because they were able and they were strong and they had the military might. They had farms and jobs and they worked and worked thinking that they could provide for themselves, never remembering that God is the one who is providing for them. They had set up their whole lives in a way where they'd forgotten about him and thought they could do it without God. And so now they're on their way back. They're remembering this truth. They're singing this song. They're realizing, right, yes, we need to build houses. Yes, we need to watch over this city. Yes, we need to create jobs and we need to farm and we need to eat food and we need to work hard. But if God's not in it, we're in trouble. That whole phrase of it being in vain, it's like saying, what, what's the point? What's the point of building a house if God's not also building it? What's the point of watching over the city and think you can defend yourself if God's not there defending you? Right? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And so thankfully, we are not on a long walk from Babylonian exile back to our home country but there are a few things in this first part I want to call our attention to. First is that we need to remember God and work with him. We need to remember God and work with him. All right, so kids in the room, right now it's summertime for you. And I hope, I hope that you are getting so much time to be a kid and to play and to goof around and to mess with your siblings and to annoy your parents and all the things. But I also hope that you have little bits and pieces of responsibility, right? I hope that you've got some accountability in having to keep your room clean, right? And having to clean up the living room and having to, uh, you know, whatever it is, help out with the laundry, the dishes, I hesitate to even mention this, but in a few, for some of you in a few short weeks, school is going to be starting and you will have all kinds of homework and projects and sports are gonna start and thing after thing after thing. And it would be so easy for you to go about your business and forget about God. So easy. But here's the challenge and here's what I think um, this psalm calls to attention for us is, man, when we're, when we're cleaning up our rooms, we can be thinking about God. 
right? When you're doing homework, don't just think about doing it for a grade, but think about doing it for God. Think about asking God to help you in the responsibilities that you have, right? When you have downtime, it's fun to play video games and it's fun to watch stuff on YouTube and the whole thing. But what if you use some of your time to serve the people in your family? What if you use some of your time to serve your neighbors, to serve friends, right? And adults, I know that it's um, family service, but you're not off the hook, right? Adults, we have this same exact tendency It is easy to wake up early, to go to work, to end up, uh, man, on the, the just treadmill of life of you get into the office, there's this project on fire, you've got 100 emails you have to answer, you've got office politics you're trying to navigate, you've got, you know, maybe you're at home with your kids and you've got 10,000 loads of laundry and you've got kids who aren't helping you and you've got a thousand things going on and everyone finally gets home and there's dinner to make and there's dinner to clean up from and homework that needs help with and you know you try to have a few moments with your spouse or a, a family member or something and then it feels like you crash into bed and you do that over and over and over and over and over again. And many of us are very well-meaning, right? We want to steward that responsibility but things slowly get pushed to the outside. And maybe your relationship with God's been one of those things where it's slowly getting pushed to the outside because there's just so much going on. And before we know it, as much as we like to look back at the Bible and go, oh my gosh, how could they forget about God? They had so so many accounts of his faithfulness. How could they forget? And then we stand here with so many accounts of God's faithfulness. And we get so caught up in life that we forget. And so, you know, adults in the room, for us, it's as simple as, I mean, little things like maybe it's rededicating the time you spend commuting to work. They're going to turn off talk radio. You're going to turn off the music or the podcast or whatever it is. And you're going to spend that time in prayer. Right, you're gonna listen to the Bible on audio, one of those really dramatic readings where it feels like you're in Shakespeare. Right, maybe it's your lunch hour. You're scrolling your phone during lunch and you're spending time just trying to check out from work for a minute. Maybe it's taking that time to check in with God, to spend some time in prayer, to spend some time focusing on him and his goodness. But the second thing here says, um, look at verse, the end of verse two. It says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. His beloved, right? So first, and I I don't, hopefully this isn't too, um, too new of an idea for many of us, but beloved, God loves us, right? Again, the reason I say I hope this isn't new is because this is what all of the Bible rests on, this reality that we are sinful and broken and messed up and can't be in right relationship with God, but Jesus comes on the scene, lives a perfect life in every way pleasing to God, and then the whole reason he dies is to die in your place, that you could be brought into right relationship with him. 
right? That love of God that made a way for us to be in right relationship with God. But this other idea that I think some of us are less familiar with is rest. In, uh, in the Old Testament um, and in the New Testament, God's people, the Jewish people were given the Sabbath, Right? And the Sabbath was this idea that you could work six days a week and that you should work hard. But that on the seventh day, there was a day of rest. There was a day where everything ceased. Right? And it wasn't just like, hey, you can't go into the office today. It was like they, they ended up with all kinds of rules about like, you can't lift something that weighs too much or you can't all of these things. And the whole point, the whole thing God was trying to display to his people is that the whole world does not rest on your shoulders. You can stop. You can cease that to-do list that's two miles long. You cannot work on it for a day and things are gonna be okay. God's got this. The whole world rests on God's shoulders, not on ours. And so this good gift of the Sabbath was a display to God's people of his love for them and the rest that God gives. And so some of us in here need to learn to work with God and go, hey God, what kind of things do I need to lay down that I could actually stop and cease and remember your goodness and remember that you're the one carrying me? But let's look at this next section here in verse three. And um, kids and families in the room, there's a, there's a lot in here for you. But even if you're not in the stage right now where you, you have any kids that you're caring for, hang in there because we're, at the end, we're gonna pull in some of these pieces for you in a really meaningful way. So verse three, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Right, so, um, so tying these two sections together, remember in the first part there we just saw, right, we are the ones building, we are the ones watching over, we are the ones working but also God is the one building, watching over and working, right? God is the one ultimately doing the work. Well, in this section, as it switched, uh, switches to kids, um, my wife and I, we have, uh, our son is four weeks old. And so I personally have never given birth, but I've been there at all four of our children's births. And there's a lot of work happening there. Giving birth is hard work. Now, my wife is doing all the work in that moment. But what this is telling us is that God's actually the one also doing the work. God is the one providing children. We saw in Psalm 139 when um, Dan taught on that weeks ago, right? That God is the one who knits us together, who crafts us, who creates us, who makes us in his image and forms us. And so God is showing here, right, in the very tangible everyday work of life of building and watching and working, 
that God provides in each of those areas, it's him providing in this area as well. Now, it gives us an interesting image, though, of what kids are like, right? Verse four and uh, five here. Children, they're, they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth, right? Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Okay, what, a, what an image there, right? So um, just, I mean, for fun, I brought with me today... Um, Okay. Okay, I've got a bow. I've got a quiver here full of arrows. Um, maybe I'll just set this down for a second. So if you think about this, man, arrows. Okay, so arrows, uh, got a little sharp, sharp tip here, right? This is like a, uh, this is a fairly dangerous thing, right? Got a sharp little end there. You put this in the hands of the wrong person, like it's a, it's, couldn't be pretty. Um, I think even at Camp Carl, I think, I forget, I think it's called like turkey. They make you like walk like this so that you don't like accidentally trip and uh, stab yourself. I don't know. But, um, but in, the, in the hands of the wrong person, right, this could be really dangerous. Um, now to illustrate the danger of this being in the hands of the wrong person, um, and I, I can't believe he uh, is letting me do this, but Dan Cooper um, has an apple on the back of his head and he is right there in the, uh, okay, I totally got you guys. Some of you guys, you knew better. Some of you, your heart's racing faster. You're worried about Dan. I, uh, I joked with Dan that I was gonna do that to him this Sunday and he said, dude, I would totally do it. I would not be worried at all. I would be worried for whoever's like right here. And uh, so for your sakes, we're, uh, you're in the clear here. Um, right, but think about this. Children, um, you are like arrows, but not just any arrow. An arrow in the hand of a warrior. Now think about that for a minute. Imagine yourself as a warrior you're headed into battle. You've got a bow. What's the thing that you would need? What is the thing that would be the biggest blessing to you? It would be a quiver full of arrows. Now, here's where I think this sometimes... Um, this sometimes can kind of go off the rails a little bit is maybe you'd, you'd hear this general idea, right? Like, okay, yeah, kids, huge blessing, quiver full of arrows, have a bunch of kids, awesome. There's a couple ways this goes off the rails and um, many of you can already kind of figure this out, right? One is I think sometimes, um, sometimes even as dads, right? I'll own some of this. There's a tendency that man, we can have this big giant family and we can leave raising the kids to our wives because we've got careers, we've got jobs, we're trying to provide for the family, we're trying to do this whole thing. And so the Bible has, says, have lots of kids and so let's have lots of kids and then put that burden on my wife. Okay, well, that's, that's not a great situation to be in. I understand that everyone has different situations and um, you know, in my family, my wife uh, works at home raising our children um, and I work here in our church. 
but for these arrows to be a blessing, right? Not to just be dangerous, but to be a dangerous blessing. They need to be in the hand of a warrior, of someone who's intentionally going, I've got this arrow. I'm gonna sharpen it. I'm gonna craft it. I'm gonna make it into something that's, that's dangerous, but not for harm, right? For blessing. Dangerous for the kingdom of God. And so dads, I think the call here is to step up and to be people who raise our kids for kingdom purposes, right? When you've got a bow and arrow, you're not just aiming it around willy-nilly. You're, you're guiding it. You've got direction. You've got purpose. And so you better believe that if I'm trying to raise my kids for kingdom purposes, I'm going to take this and I'm going to point them in the right direction, I'm going to do everything I can to train them up and raise them to love the Lord. Now, as we've seen in this very psalm, much of that, right, there is work that we need to do. We need to put in work. But none of this happens without God. I know plenty of people, even here in our church, who've raised their kids and done plenty of things to point them towards God. But their children are still far from God. So that's why we're committed to the work of praying for our kids in this room, outside of this room. We're committed to asking God to continue to do the work. And these kids, as they grow up, it says in the second half of verse five, has this idea of, um, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The gate was this, uh, this place of uh, two things, right? One, if your enemies were coming to your city to attack you, the gate is sort of the weak spot where they're gonna try to get in. The gate in um, ancient times was also a place where you would go to settle disputes in the city. People would gather there and settle their arguments with one another. And so... Uh, Again, imagine you're walking into either of those situations. You have to defend the gate or you have to defend yourself and your family at the gate. Would you rather show up by yourself or would you rather show up with this whole team alongside you? This is the sort of blessing that he's trying to get at here. But I told you this wasn't just for those of you who are raising kids right now. This is for everybody in the room. And here's, uh, here's something I want you to see. All right, so in the Old Testament, blessing um, primarily came through for people through biological children. Right? You wanted to have lots of kids so that you could um, defend your family, you could provide for your family, that you have this giant multi-generational line who's going to take care of you when you get older. We have all kinds of support structures today, but that didn't exist then. Even if you think about God's promise to Abraham um, that he was going to make him a great nation, the blessing was seen like, man, if, if you didn't have kids at that time, it felt like things were over for you. But what's really beautiful to me is in the New Testament, Jesus paints this, um, this new picture of family. And it's not just about your biological family who's related to you by blood. 
but he paints this picture of a spiritual family filled with spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual brothers and sisters, spiritual sons and daughters, right? And that the bond there, he says, at certain points, is even stronger than the bond shared by our biology, Right, We saw in Genesis 1 and 2, you see uh, God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, have lots of kids, spread God's image all over the earth. In the New Testament, you see Jesus show up in Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples. That broken image, that image that's broken and marred by sin, go and be people who tell them about Jesus and what he's done, who through God's work, restore that image of God and spread that throughout the entire world. The blessing not only comes through biological children, but through participating in the work of expanding God's family. Right, your kid, parents in the room, you know this, your kids do not come out like worshiping and praising God and obeying his every command. The work of parenting is discipleship. So the difference here between like our, our biological kids and our spiritual kids, it's that one of them God places in our families, the other ones get invited into our families. And so if you are someone in this room, whether you're raising kids or you're not, your call is to disciple, to lean in, to share about God and what he's doing, to let God build the house. But we're also building, we're also working. And so if you're in this room, Right? If we are going to be Psalm 127 people, we need to, we need to remember who God is and join his work. We need to embrace God's love and rest. Right? If, if this is the life stage you're at and you are able to, I mean, I, frankly, I think it, it's have kids, It's to raise those kids up to be a blessing, to know the Lord, to follow him, right? Not that that work depends on us, it depends on God, but we still put in the work. And lastly, it's that work of discipleship. It's leaning in, it's raising disciples that have intention, that are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And church, this is the work that God calls us to. And so families in the room, if you're, um, one of the things we're doing this fall is we are doing a, um, I hesitate to even call it a class, but on Wednesday nights, there's a, um, I don't have a better word, so that's what I'm gonna call it right now. A class we're doing, walking through a book called Habits of the Household, and it's a book where um, we're doing it in a format where there's tons of discussion, tons of learning from people in your life stage and from families who've gone before us to raise kids well. Um, 
And it's all about how do you take just regular everyday things in your house, breakfast, waking up, going to bed, having dinner, um, brushing your teeth, all of these kind of things to do them in a way that points towards God, to do them in a way that uses those little moments for intentionality um, that just slowly inches that work forwards. Because church, the work of discipleship is the work God's inviting us into so that they would be a blessing to the world around us. Let me pray for us. God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for um, the blessing and reminder that even as we work, even as we're um, called to, to all the areas of responsibility you have for us, that God, you are the one working, you are the one moving. And God, would you never let us organize in our, our lives in a way that pushes you out. God, too, for the, the kids in the room, and, uh, you know, we're all kids, God. Do you remind us that, that we, that they are such a blessing, that you've crafted us and formed us and made us in your image and that you have kingdom purposes for us. We are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And yes, that's, that's dads and that's parents, but God, that's ultimately you. You are our good father. So God, we desire to be, to be arrows in your hands, to be people who live for your kingdom purposes, who are um, and dangerous for the kingdom of God. And so God, help us this week. Don't let us forget about you, but help point us towards your purposes and your aims, God. Don't let us lose sight of you. We love you and thank you to be called your children. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.